during the portion of our worship service where we've been uh, hearing from God's Word, we've been working through the book of Genesis. We're going to again be in chapter 13 this morning. Um, and I think uh, you'll find that on page 9 if you're following along in one of the Bibles there in, uh, in front of you in the, in the chairs. Um, uh, back in 2012, uh, Lindsay and I uh, were traveling out to St. Louis. And um, we were going to see some friends there. Uh, Lindsay uh, was um, sitting in the passenger seat. I was driving. She was pregnant with Beckett at the time. Uh, and Adelaide was about one and a half. She was sitting in the back seat. And something that you'll learn about me if you haven't already is I detest traffic. Like there's nothing that, uh, well, there's probably lots of things that I despise worse, but traffic is right up there. And uh, this thing that I detest hit us full on as we're just outside of St. Louis and traffic is just at a standstill. It's backed up for miles. And so uh, in my impatience, uh, I would prefer to be moving than to sit there in traffic. And so uh, I'm driving, uh, and this is back before uh, we had smartphone or any of that stuff. So I pull off at the next exit, figuring, surely we can find a way out around this. And uh, so I tell Lindsay to pull the, look at the GPS and get the map out. And she immediately says, no, pull over. Because, uh, see, for me, this is a giant game. Like, it is uh, a contest against me and the traffic to see who will come out victorious. For Lindsay, it's, it's not at all. She does not enjoy it. Uh, she would prefer, in her patience, to sit there in the traffic and wait. Surely it'll clear up. But she said, look, I, I don't like making these decisions. You need the decisions too quickly, and I don't even want to do it. If you want to do this, you're going to get out, and you come and you navigate, and I'll drive. I'm like, okay. So that's what we do. And we start heading along, and, you know, I'm telling her where to turn and where to go. And um, it's interesting, though, where we're, where we're backed up and where we're getting off of, off of 64 is in East St. Louis. This is in Illinois, and back in around that time, it was the, uh, one of the most dangerous uh, cities in America. But that doesn't matter. We have to beat traffic. And Lindsay's getting nervous as we're driving through the town. And she's like, don't you think we should go back and turn back to where we started? I'm like, no, it's fine. As so we drive by stop signs riddled with bullet holes and driving through neighborhoods. I'm like, oh, it's just up here. We just need to get across these railroad tracks. And we get, get to another bridge and get across the Mississippi River. We get down to the, the end of the street. Dead end. Can't get across the railroad track there. And Lindsay is getting even more nervous. She's like, we need to turn back. We need to go back to where we started. I'm like, no, 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 no. We can do it. We can do it. I think if we just turn down here and cross over the, the, the railroad tracks, we can get back across the bridge. And so we go and uh, we, we, we actually do. We get across the railroad tracks. We get to the bridge. We get across and we made great time. Like everybody else, they were foolish, I thought, for sitting in traffic. Uh, but... Although I was happy at what had just occurred, Lindsay was not. It was uh, emotionally painful for her to go through this. I, I was, even though I had plenty of opportunities as we journeyed through East St. Louis, I had plenty of opportunities to turn back and go back to where we started. But 
I was more concerned with winning this game, this traffic game, than about the safety of my of my family and the emotional health of my of my wife. Um, the last time we were in Genesis in chapter twelve, we saw Abram acting very much like me, uh, risking the the safety of his family to pursue his own plan uh, to um, to uh, preserve his own life and and um, and 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 being content to sacrifice others to experience what he was pursuing. And so, uh, uh, as we in, see now where we're catching up with Abram, he's left Egypt. What we want to look at is, is seeing, how does, how does he respond now that his sin has been exposed to him? How does, how does he respond as he leaves, uh, leaves Egypt, and as he's experienced this great, uh, this, um, rebellion as he, he left and, and fled the Lord. Um, is he going to go back to where he started? Or will he continue this, uh, um, this course where he is uh, seeking to just preserve his own life? So if you would, look with me in chapter 13. Um, we're going to be looking at just the whole chapter this morning. So if you would, follow along with me as we hear from the Word of God this morning, beginning in uh, verse 1 of chapter 13 of Genesis. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him, into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of Yahweh. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of Yahweh, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before Yahweh destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against Yahweh. Yahweh said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, 
so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to Yahweh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. We pray that, Holy Spirit, this morning you would apply uh, your words uh, to the hearts and minds and lives of those gathered here. Um, Begin with me. Change and transform my heart to walk with you and to trust you that we might cling more fully on Jesus. Uh, It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Um, If you remember what we've seen so far is that, uh, remember God, as we've, he's revealed himself in Genesis. We've seen that he's good and he's trustworthy. He's made all things wonderful. Uh, But Adam and Eve rebelled against him, and that began God initiating this great plan of of rescue and restoration. As we saw a few weeks ago, that that plan has been narrowed down to to Abram and his wife Sarah. It's going to be through them that God brings about this great plan of rescue and restoration. And uh, God even said to Abram, I'm going to bless you so that you'll be a blessing. And that through Abram, all the, the families of the earth are going to be blessed. We saw that in chapter 12. And Abram kind of started off uh, all right, but we saw last week in, or two weeks ago in the face of famine and fear of Abram not trusting God's provision for him, he leaves the promised land and he goes to Egypt to try to, to uh, save and preserve his own life and his own strength. And God, in his, in his care... Um, in, his, in his discipline, he preserves Abram and Sarah and forces them to leave Egypt. And that's where we pick up here. How is he, how's he going to respond in light of this being exposed in his, in his heart and in his, life, in his life, in his action, the fact that he's, he's rebelled and not trusted this God who has called him and who saved him? What will he, what will he do? Will he go back? To where he started. In fact, we we see that here. And something I want us to look at is is the things that Abram struggles with, the same things that you and I struggle with. And if we can learn a lot in this in Genesis and in the um, in the Bible about God's character, and and we see, and we're also learning stuff about us then maybe as we look at Abram's life here and as we see how God interacts with Abram, we can learn a lot about how, how do we relate to God? How do we respond in those times where we've experienced a crisis of faith, uh, a time where we've just messed up royally in our relationship and our following God? What do we do? How do we respond? Well, like we see here, it's important to get back to where we started. Look how Abram does this. And Moses, the the guy who's writing Genesis, how he emphasizes this. So Abram goes up from from Egypt 
he and his wife and Lot and all that he had, and they went into the Negev. Um, And picking up in in verse 3, and he journeyed on from the Negev, which was the lower portion of the promised land. And he went up as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of Yahweh. Remember, God appeared to Abram in Shechem. And and there God gave Abram, he reiterated these promises to Abram. And Abram built an altar there. And then he moved on from, from Shechem to Bethel. And in Bethel, he built another altar. And there he began to, to call upon and trust and worship the name of Yahweh. Here in the presence of the, the land of Canaan, God has extended Abram great blessing and bringing him into a restored relationship with the creator of all things. And Abram was responding appropriately demonstrating the character and the goodness of this God as he journeyed through the land of Canaan. But it was in Bethel, if you notice, after Abram leaves Bethel, we don't hear anymore about Abram building any altars, Abram trusting and depending and walking with God. Abram depends and relies on himself, and he ends up in Egypt. And it's not until now that Abram, in God's discipline and in God's care, he returns to Canaan. And where does he go? He goes back to where he started. He goes back to Bethel. He, built, he goes back to the altar that he had built before, at the first, at the beginning. And there again, he looks to God. He calls out to his, the, the faithful rescuing and restoring God who called Abram in his grace. Abram goes back into the presence of Yahweh. How crazy is that sometimes for us to think about that we've messed up so bad? The last thing I really want to do is go back into the presence of the one that I've rebelled against. But no, something about God's character is he's revealed himself to Abram and he's revealed himself to us that Abram understands and knows the only hope I have is in the one true and living God. And he goes back acknowledging his sin, worshiping at the altar, which would have required sacrifice, confession, and God responding in grace and mercy to Abram. For us, it's important for us to think about that as we encounter these crises of faith that we have. As we have times in our lives, and we all have them, and we will continue to have them, where we go in ways that we're not trusting in the Lord. And what we see here, what we've seen throughout Genesis, and we see here is that it's important for us when we realize and God in His kindness exposes our sin in our, in our hearts and in our lives, for us to return and go back where we started. To go back to where we were when we left off from trusting and depending on Him and pursuing after our own way. To come back into His presence. To come back into uh, fellowship with Him. To go back to where we started. Um, But uh, And that's going to be important. If Remember, Abram is here He's being called to be a blessing to the nations, to reveal the goodness and the character of God. 
What is he demonstrating to all the Canaanites when he messes up, when he sins, that he comes into the presence of his God, pleading for forgiveness and experiences restoration of fellowship? What are we saying and communicating when we do that and acknowledge our own sin? Or maybe on the flip side, what are we negatively communicating if, as those who bear the name of God's people, Christians, we live, could care less about how we sin, how we hurt others, and pursue a life that's contrary to what God's called us to. We're also communicating something about God's character wrongly, but that's what people are picking up on. But here, learning and seeing from Abram, in the midst of his sin, he goes back to where he began. But it's not just important for us when we realize these things to go back where we began, where we started at the first, to go back to the presence of the Lord. But we also, it's going to be important for us to address what it is that gets us off course to begin with. We saw Abram doing that, right? I mean, he'd been called to be a blessing. and we, He'd left the promised land. That's the land that God had given him. He returns. He comes back into the land. We saw he was supposed to be a blessing and communicating good and true things about the character of God. He left off doing that. Now he's coming back. He's addressing it. He's, he's beginning to live a life where he's, he's back to worshiping God, to demonstrating God's character in the land of Canaan. But there's other things here that show up that he needs to address. Maybe at first, if you, you're reading it, this whole encounter and this main chunk of this passage where it's talking about Lot, it might seem that Abram's just back up to his old ways. Remember what did we see Abram doing before? When he was in Egypt, he was playing fast and loose with the, the promises of God. Remember he said that, he was, that God was going to provide uh, uh, an offspring, a child that would come who would uh, rescue and restore all things, defeat the, the evil one. Um, and we're tracing through this promise, and it was going to come through Abram and Sarah, but Abram played risky with that in Egypt. Now it seems like, is he playing risky again? Is he playing fast and loose with the promise of the land? I mean, look at this deal he gives Lot. Lot was with Abram. Both of them, it tells us, in 5 and 6, were experiencing great growth of their, their possessions and the blessings that they had, and strife entered in. It says that, uh, uh, the, the land could not support both of them dwelling together for their possessions were great. And there was strife between the herdmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were in the land. And so Abram says, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I'll go to the right. If you take the right hand, I'll go to the left. And Lot, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the Garden of Yahweh, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before Yahweh destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley. And Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the land of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and great sinners against Yahweh. What? Abram gives this offer to, to Lot. Hey, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You choose Lot. Well, what if Lot would have chose Canaan? 
Is Abram playing risky, fast and loose? Is now he then going to just say, oh, all right, Lot, I'm going to give it to you. And up, I'm going to leave. Does Abram need to, what's, what's he doing? Is he back up to his old tricks? Well, it's, it's interesting to see what, what's going on here. And in this culture, a lot of uh, their orientation of directions was towards the east. So now when you say to the facing east, when you say the left, it's, it, and sometimes it can mean north, to the right can mean the south. So Abram's saying here to Lot, look, if you decide to go north, I'll go south. If you decide to go south, I'll go north. Abram's not offering for Abram to leave the promised land. Abram's talking about them both staying there, but they need to be separated because of the trouble that's going on. Abram's still got his eyes focused on the promise, but look at Lot. What does Lot do? Lot doesn't look right or left. Lot doesn't look north or south. Lot looks up, and Lot looks east or to the front. The same word, front or east. He looks at the Jordan Valley. This describes it as saying it's looking like Canaan, but it also says that it looked like Egypt. And remember, Egypt would be in the temptation for Abram. Lot's focus here is not on the promise. Lot seems at this point to be focused on Lot and getting whatever Lot can get out of this land. Notice Lot's presence, not just with this influence, maybe is what Lot's doing, but we also see here Lot's presence with Abram close to him is making it difficult for Abram to remain in the land. Did you notice? Uh, So Lot went with Abram. He also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. Uh, As long as Lot and Abram remain together, the promise is being jeopardized. It's difficult for Abram to remain in the land. So Abram seems to be responding to this. Why is this a big issue? How is Abram, is, is Lot in fact something that's getting Abram off course? Uh... Remember back in chapter 12, this is what God said to Abram when he appeared to him. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. He's supposed to go from his country. He's supposed to go from his kindred, from his kinsmen. He even refers to in this chapter of of Lot being his kinsman. But Moses tells us that in verse 4, Lot keeps appearing. Abram went as Yahweh had told him, and Lot went with him in verse 4 of chapter 12. Then in verse 5, it says it again. Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son. It happens again in verse 1 of chapter 13. Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him. Then again, here in verse 5, and Lot, who went with Abram, it was supposed to just be Abram and Sarah. But Abram leaves with Lot. And now, it's being shown, Lot is leading Abram off course. He's jeopardizing the promise. Abram needs to address what is getting him off course by responding in a way he should have to begin with and separating from Lot. Uh, There's a 
a story that's told of um, monkey hunters uh, and uh, the way that they go about uh, catching monkeys is they take a gourd. I don't have a gourd, so just imagine this is a gourd. It's a box, but imagine it's a gourd. And so they take the gourd and they cut a hole in the side of the gourd. My hole's a little big because I needed to make sure my hand would fit in there. But it's just a little bit bigger than the monkey's hand, than a monkey's hand. And they come and they take a banana and they put a banana in the gourd. Um, and they probably actually would have stuck it to the hole. And then they, they chain or tie the, the gourd to a tree or to a stake. And they just go sit and watch. And when the monkey comes up, he sees a very, very good thing in the gourd. He sees a banana. There's nothing wrong with a banana. A banana is a good thing. In fact, monkeys need bananas. Uh, and the monkey comes up and he sees the banana. And so he shoves and sticks and forces his hand in there and he grabs the banana. Then he tries to leave and he tries to pull it out because the banana's in there and his hand's around the banana. He can't get his hand out. But he doesn't want to let go of this very good thing. But if he doesn't let go of the good thing, what's going to happen? This very good thing is going to be what jeopardizes his life because he's stuck and trapped and the hunter is going to come and get him. Uh, Kids, in your worship bag, you have a little mini baby banana to help remind you and me that sometimes there are good things in our lives. Good things like family, toys, parents, uh, sports, video games, books, uh, or parents. For us to remember, there's jobs and kids and family and friends and Things, home, money, food, good things that God has given us. But, but sometimes, if we're not careful and we're clinging to these very good things, it could be these very good things that in fact could, could come to harm and hurt us if we're relying on them in a way that we shouldn't, that God hasn't called us to. It could be these good things that it could in fact trap us And that's what we're seeing here. Family is good. Was Abram doing a good thing and caring for Lot? I mean, Lot's dad had died, yeah, but for some reason, God is calling and is working out things. He called Abram to leave his family. Was Abram thinking and depending and relying on Lot to be the one through whom the offspring would come because he was doubting in God's provision? We don't know. We do see here that Lot's presence around Abram is not healthy. Abram's uh, being prevented from fully ex- uh, being able to, to live out the implications of his involvement in God's promise to redeem and rescue and restore all things. And so here, now that Abram's returned back to where he started, God is showing things in Abram's life. Oh, you know what? Abram, as you're opening up your heart and your mind, as you're trusting me to show where you're straying away, maybe more and more things may come up. And Abram, one of the things you need to address is Lot being with you. Uh, But we may think, man, if that's the case, that can be hard. How do we know what 
good things are good things, and what good things are in fact causing us difficulty and trouble? Where am I relying and depending too much on the good thing instead of relying and trusting and depending on the Lord? need help figuring that out. Now that I've gone back to where we've started, now that we've seen God begin to address what's going on in our lives in order to uh, address what got us off course, but how do we figure that out? Um, there is a, uh, uh, a tribe of people in... Uh, in Australia, and the way that their language functions, uh, they would, uh, you know, we would say hello, or how's it going, in their language, when, it's like per Malins, or I, I couldn't really pronounce the, uh, the name of the, the, the tribal group, but uh, they say, what direction are you headed? That's hello. So, you say, oh, what direction are you headed? And the, the person will go, oh, north, northeast. You go a little bit further, maybe in your, your office or down the street. Oh, what direction are you headed? Oh, I'm midway going uh, west, southwest. Uh, everything, in not you can't even get past hello without being caught up in directional stuff in this society. Uh, in fact, if you were to go into a building with no windows, no doors, or no windows, there had to be doors, you couldn't get in it. Uh, no windows and you couldn't see outside. You could ask them, which way are you going? And they would, they would know immediately which direction they were facing. They always know where east is. They're always paying attention. They're always orienting themselves towards east. In fact, they did an experiment where they took, in fact, it was bananas again, surprisingly. They took pictures of uh, someone eating a banana in different stages. So, you know, they had the banana on the tree. They had somebody picking the banana, peeling the banana, eating the banana. But they were out of order, each of those scenes. And they noticed that if they gave it to a Westerner to order those, we would order that, those pictures in order from left to right. Left would be the first thing that happened. Right would be the last thing that happened. If they gave it to somebody from the Middle East, somebody who, who was uh, maybe uh, of Hebrew, uh, that's the language that they, they spoke and understood, they would do it the other way. They would go from right to left because uh, that's the way that they read across a page and so it kind of oriented them that way. They noticed that they gave it to these Pramalans that... Uh, if they were, um, everything was oriented towards the, towards the east. So if they were sitting uh, facing east, then the first thing would be out here, far away from them, and then it would progress this way. If they moved and were now facing north, the first thing would now be on the right, because that's where east is, and it would progress that way no matter which direction they turned. And you never needed to tell them which direction they were facing. They just did it inside, outside. Everything about their life is oriented towards east. Everything they do is done in relationship to where east is. 
remember what God is, is doing here. He's called Abram and he's given Abram these promises. These promises that what he's, he's doing, he's going to use Abram to redeem and rescue and restore all things. It's going to be through Abram that the promised one comes. That means that Abram must be oriented towards these promises. Everything about Abram's life must be oriented towards the promises and the work and the mission of God's rescue and restoration. And God, in fact, here is seeking to orient Abram towards those. That's the next. That's how we begin to evaluate and understand. Are these good things good things? Or am I I'm manipulating them and distorting them? Well, I've got to orient Everything around God and His promises and His goodness and His character. Notice what God, how God does this. In verse 14, Yahweh said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to Yahweh. We see here, Yahweh is uh, reaffirming these promises to Abram. He's reminding and shaping Abram based around the promises of God's covenant and his great mission of rescue and restoration. Notice the the focus on the seed that comes up here, the offspring that God mentions over. Now, God here to Abram is, is reaffirming to him this promise to multiply Abram, to make him go from just Abram and barren Sarah to a nation. He's going to greatly multiply his offspring. Why? Reoriented, it's oriented around the promise. The promise what? That God gave back in 3.15 of Genesis. That one was going to come, an offspring, who would come and rescue and redeem and restore. God is reminding Abram, here, look, I'm committed to my promises. And I'm committed to you, my faithfulness to you, that this promise and mission will come about in light of the seed. You don't need to rely on trust in Lot. You don't need to rely on trust in anyone. It's going to be through me. But also God reaffirms this promise of the land, reorienting again, Abram, around this promise of land. Remember, God says it's going to be this land that I'm giving you. But let's think about this. Abram just had to part ways with Lot, right? Because... The land couldn't support them. Now, why in the world do I want this land? What kind of blessing is that? Maybe Lot had it right after all. God, why didn't you give us that land over there or the, the land down in, in Egypt? Wouldn't it have been more fertile? Couldn't our flocks and herds have grown and developed more? Why this land? Well, if we're thinking about it that way, about how my, my wealth will grow, how my, my flocks and herds will develop, then that would be the right way to think about it. But remember, God is reorienting our perspective so that we're doing everything in relation to Him, to His glory, to His mission, to His promises. 
God says, it's this land that I want you, Abram, because it's not so much about the blessing that I'm talking about being about your flocks and your herds growing, although that may happen. It's about all the families of the earth being blessed through you as you live out restored relationship with me. You are to be a demonstration of properly functioning humanity. And this land, although it's not the most fertile in the world, it's at the crossroads of the world. It's at a great trade intersection where people from all over the world are coming and passing through this land. And it's in this land that I want you because it's not about you growing in all this abundance of wealth, but it's about you displaying my glory and my grace and my faithfulness here to everyone who comes in and out of it. It's about the promise, Abram. It's about my glory and it's about me using you to demonstrate my glory and my grace as I pursue this great mission of rescue and restoration. But also notice... How, what God says here, for all, in verse 15, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. God here is committing himself to Abram and his offspring forever. God is saying, look, I'm focused on bringing out this, about this mission of rescue and restoration it will ultimately come about because my commitment is to you and to my people is forever. You have no need to question my faithfulness or my commitment to bringing this about. I've pledged my word and you've seen my character revealed through Scripture that I'm not only the covenant-making God, but I'm the covenant-keeping God. Abram, as, as things get out of whack and you, you find yourself going off course, and as you... You come back in light of my character. You return back to me in light of my grace as you respond in light of my promises and seeing how important it is to be in relationship with me as I'm restoring all things. You can address what has gotten you off course. It's my relationship with you and who I am that will orient all that you do, all that you think about, all that you say so that my glory will be displayed. It's in this way that we can evaluate our lives and what we're doing and what we're experiencing. But we may think this. Well, of course, it may have been easy for Abram. I mean, God comes to him and he speaks to him directly. And he reorients Abram with this reaffirmation of his promises. What about us? What about me? What about you? Well, One way is we're seeing it right now, right? We're working our way through God's Word. It's not God's Word to people long ago. It's God's very Word for His people now. But what have we experienced this morning so far? God reorienting us to His promises. We started off our service. God welcoming us into His presence. God calling us to confession. God urging us and moving us to go back to where it started to address and look at what's going on in our lives that leads us off course. We've heard God's promises reaffirmed to us here as He's reorienting us, but the Supper, the Lord's Supper, every Sunday we gather together and God welcomes you as His people and He says to you, I love you. 
I'm committed to my promise to rescue you from your sin and to restore all things. And I'm committed to you forever. You know how you know that? Because the means by which I'm going to bring about this, this fulfilling these promises, that one who is coming to rescue and restore is me in the flesh who will give my life for you. That's how committed I am to fulfilling my promises. That's how committed I am to you. I want to reorient you every Sunday morning to my promises that you may live out your proper place in this world, in Elizabeth City, that we might be a a demonstration and a display to all those about our covenant-making and keeping God. Jesus, in fact... That promised one that we are awaiting and looking for, who came, who accomplished that mission of rescue and restoration, and we're waiting for its fullness. He was meeting with his disciples, and they, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. The, the same night as they were eating after the supper, Christ took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant of my blood poured out for many. As long as you eat this bread, you drink this cup, you demonstrate, you proclaim, you show forth my death until I return. God knows that we struggle, that our faith needs strengthening in order to live out this calling that he's given us as his people. As we look to Jesus in faith, this promised one, This covenant-making and keeping God who entered into our world to redeem us. He's seeking to reorient us now with His promises. That Jesus says, My body was broken for you. As you look to me in faith, it is my broken body and my shed blood that redeems and rescues you forever. I've accomplished my mission. And I'm using you to to bring about its fullness in this world. Does your faith struggle? Do you, like me, need to be reoriented around the promises of our God? This morning, both in His Word preached and in these visible words, God seeks to reorient us around the promises of the good news of the Gospel He is committed to His people forever. Does that describe you of one who's who's following and looking to and clinging to Jesus by faith? Have you united yourself to to God's people? Those that uh, a a church, a local church that that God is is using that corporate group to to reach out in the community around uh, around where you, you live? Have you been admitted to to the table by those that God has placed over His His church, baptized and admitted to the table. Um, if so, you don't need to be a member of our church. Uh, this is not my table. This is not Harbor Presbyterian Church's table. It's Jesus' table. It's a table of fellowship. And He invites His people to come and eat and feast with Him. Uh, if, if that doesn't describe you, then just let the... Let the, the, the bread and the wine pass you by. There's some, some prayers maybe for you to consider inside of your, uh, your bulletin. There's no shame in that. Um, uh, if, 
if this is something, though, that, that you, you think might describe you, but you're unsure and you, you long to know Jesus, to be joined to His church,